Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, I can't see you, but you can see me. (laughs) It's great to be here, and this is actually my first Christmas at St. Paul's. So uh, we moved on New Year's Eve, and I have to say we were blown away with the welcome we received. There were fireworks and parties everywhere. (laughs) And uh, we've loved being here for those 11 months. And I just want to reiterate uh, what Jeff said. You're very welcome here. It's great to hear, to have so many people here this evening and also this morning when we had our family carols service. And this is a fantastic church. This is a fantastic time of year. But I just want to tell you a little bit, though, about my background. So uh, before I was a vicar, I actually worked in political polling. And uh, the last opinion poll I did was about 10 years ago. So I thought I might just uh, go back in time and conduct a little survey with us all. Is that okay? Even though I can't see all of you, I think we can pull this off. So a question is going to appear on the screen. There we go. This is my poll. Is the world a better place than 10 years ago? There are the three options you've got. Just take uh, 10 seconds or so just to think about what your answer would be. Okay, let's have a quick show of hands. Who thinks it's better? A few. (laughs) Who thinks it's about the same? Okay, quite a lot of those. Worse? Hmm. I don't know if the worse, uh, worse than about the same, about equal, but clearly... No one or very few people think it's better. That's the time that we're living in at the moment. And certainly everything I've heard about uh, surveys that have been done of the general population would agree with that. It is a time when people are worried. And I think it's worth saying that 2016 has not been a great year. I can certainly say that as a football fan. First of all, my national team embarrassed themselves by losing and getting knocked out by a nation so small that they have more sheep than people. That's no lie, I checked it out on on Wikipedia. Iceland, the new Wales. As for my club team, never has there been more optimism as they moved into their new vast plush stadium that had so much promise and so far it has reduced them to near relegation certainties uh, with the first few months spent with the fans fighting each other. Optimism has been replaced by disunity, anger, and fear. But I have to say, it's very similar, really, isn't it, to what's happened to the world, at least in the West. People are anxious and concerned about the future. And what are some of the reasons for that? Well, I was just thinking about them myself before uh, preparing this sermon. I think first life is harder. That's the first type of reason We've got the pay squeeze. We've got wages that don't look like coming up for any, again, going up anytime soon. We're working harder for less if, of course, we've got a job at all. Poor prospects for young people in particular. And uh, what we find is, particularly among younger folk, there's a greater likelihood of depression and there's a related decline in feelings of self-worth. Then second, the world is less stable. That's certainly something people are feeling as well. The migrant crisis continues. Terrorism remains a threat, especially in France. Libya, Syria, Iraq remain in turmoil, even if some progress has been made. Vladimir Putin is in charge of one military superpower, and Donald Trump will soon be in charge of the other. Thank goodness they're such good friends. 
it will be interesting to see how that turns out. But more seriously, what have been the distinctive features of those two individuals? Well, yes, a patriotic populism that has been popular. Yes, authoritarianism, and we'll see quite how far that goes. But also, to put it mildly, a somewhat relaxed approach to the truth. It's pretty shocking, and yet many commentators have said that it actually reflects a wider cultural shift in which people increasingly rely on social media for their news. And what that does is it filters out any viewpoint or any news that is not uh, seen to be in line with the preferences of that individual. And it includes revealing many fake news stories as well. So social media is really affecting whether people have a balanced input of opinion and news. And actually, this slide here just illustrates the fact that this was a real issue in the American election. Facebook had to issue a statement denying that it was Facebook's fault that Trump won. Now, what's the consequence? I think it's arguably that we now live in a post-truth society. Certainly some commentators have said that, in which people have stopped listening to each other, or certainly not as much as they did, and that we're becoming increasingly divided and even polarised into extremes, and in some cases with an increase in hatred and abuse. I personally think the low point for the UK in the last year was the murder of the MP Jo Cox back in her Yorkshire constituency. And it begs the question, it begs the question here tonight, is there any basis for hope? Well, what I want to say this evening is that there most certainly is. There is hope. For what we have in the story of Christmas is God's gift to mankind, himself. In a world that was very far from stable, he was born in a stable. In an occupied country ruled by a dictator so ruthless, he ordered all firstborn children to be killed just in the hope of killing Jesus, of whom he felt threatened. Jesus and his family, of course, became refugees in Egypt. Things were pretty dark and uncertain then too. So does God know what it's like to be in Aleppo right now? You bet he does. Does he know what it's like to be a refugee in Europe? You bet he does. And does he know what it's like to be in a world where division and hatred are on the increase? You bet he does, because that hatred ultimately took him to the cross. And he came to live among us to begin a revolution a revolution that says there is, there is a better way to live. A way that transforms an atmosphere of division, anxiety and gloom into one of unity, positivity and hope. And we find it in the true story and the true meaning of Christmas. So I want to share with you that now just by unpacking two things, two concepts that we find from those Bible passages that we heard read. And the first of them is this. Jesus is the light. The first passage spoke of it. The last passage spoke of it. And it's astonishingly, absolutely wonderful, great news. Now, here's a joke I heard recently. One dark, doctor's, one dark winter's evening, a man walked into a doctor's surgery and said to the doctor, 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 
I keep thinking I'm a moth. The doctor was puzzled and said, it's not me you need, you need to see a psychiatrist. Oh, I know that, said the man. I just popped in as I saw your light was on. (laughs) Yeah, we don't need to be a moth, do we? To, To be attracted, to be drawn to light. It's no coincidence that in the dark, long winter nights that we're experiencing now, we choose to celebrate with lights. We love them, whether it's lights on our Christmas trees, lights on the high street, or lights around the outside of our homes. And it's no coincidence, too, that Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world, as he did uh, in that prophecy of his birth that we heard from Isaiah, written 800 years before. And in that final reading that Ian read so beautifully, we heard this, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. A child so vulnerable, pursued by King Herod, forced into exile, and then ultimately nailed to a cross, killed horrifically at the hands of the greatest empire the world has seen. Yet he was not overcome by darkness. He was not overcome by the terrible odds that he faced. As Isaiah would also later predict, he would die, but then he would see the light of life. He would rise from the dead. And Jesus, the true light, showed that truth is not dead. Hope is not dead. For it's through him that the truth about who God is about how he feels about us, can be known. As well as how we can be made right with him. It's a light that enables us to see, to be able to find our way to him, to go through life with our eyes wide open, to see the world and to see ourselves as they really are, as God sees us, through which true self-worth and a healthy, positive self identity can be found, something so many of us truly need. For what does the good news of Christmas tell us? It tells us that God loves us totally, unconditionally, and far more than we can possibly imagine. How do we know that? Because he sent Jesus to us to show us God's love through his life, which was as loving a life as you will ever read about anyone having had. And he did it through his death. As one famous New Testament verse puts it, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Or as the most famous verse in the Bible puts it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The resurrection proved he had succeeded and that we too can live beyond the grave. So do you want to live in that light of knowing you are truly and completely and wonderfully loved by your creator, by your heavenly father? He knows everything about me, everything about you, and yet he still loves us. Just pause to absorb that for a moment. It's astonishing. It's wonderful. 
But what does it mean? It means actually we don't need to worry about what other people think of us. Because it's God's verdict that matters. He loves us. And it means there's no place for hating ourselves. And there's no place for hating others. Because the Bible commands us to love everyone who God loves. I spoke earlier of the murder of Joe Cox being the low point of 2016. And yet here on the screen now is a newspaper headline from a few weeks ago. It's about the statement her widowed husband Brendan gave immediately after her murderer was convicted. Here are some, a few of his comments that are stated in that article. It was an act driven by hatred, but instead it created an outpouring of love. It was an act designed to drive communities apart, but instead has brought them together. It was an act designed to silence a voice, yet instead has allowed millions of others to hear it. And he later added how he pitied the murderer for all the hatred he had stored up in his heart. It was an astonishing, inspiring statement of hope, forgiveness and love that was such a contrast to what we surely would have expected him to have said. And yet it's a statement so in keeping with the love and the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus himself showed and which he also calls us to show. That's what light in the darkness means in 2016. That's what it looks like to overcome evil with good and to overcome hatred with love. This is light, the light of God's love. So my question to us all is this, have you welcomed that light into your life? Here's the bottom line. Jesus said this, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. And here's a world-famous painting that actually is based on that very verse. You may have seen it. It's by Holman Hunt. I've showed people around the original, which is in Keeble College in Oxford many times. It's an astonishing painting known across the world. But there's one crucial detail which you'll see if you see the whole of the picture. Jesus is knocking on the door, but on the outside of the door, there is no handle. Why? Because it's making the point that only the person inside can let Jesus into their heart. He won't force his way in. He simply knocks and longs that you might open your heart for him. If you talk to someone who has become a Christian, the chances are they will have felt a little bit like this. That when they open the door of their heart to God, they all describe it as something like light flooding in. Where suddenly now things made sense with God in their lives. That their life now had new meaning, new purpose, new excitement, new hope. And about how they knew now what they had been created to do, to live like Jesus lived and to show his love to the world and to no longer live for themselves, but to live for him. And the Bible promises that as we do that, he walks with us. God walks with us. What does that mean? It means that whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, 
He wants to be with us by his spirit, guiding us, prompting us, strengthening us, giving us the courage, the peace, the hope that we need and enabling us to become the people that he gave us the potential to be. I love this quote from Michelangelo when he was asked how he carved his magnificent David statue. And his reply is reputed to have been, I looked inside the marble and just took away the bits that weren't David. And that's what God longs to do in us. Chipping away at all the bits that aren't of him, that aren't so good, that we're not proud of, that let us down. And leaving something wonderfully and truly precious in its place. A life immersed in his love and a life transformed by his power. And that's what God longs to do in us. And if we allow him to, we will experience an overwhelming sense of peace. But that's the second concept I just want to briefly highlight for us this evening. And the Isaiah passage described Jesus as the Prince of Peace. To the shepherds, the angels said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And Jesus himself said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In this world you will have trouble. And we all know that to be the case, don't we? But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what is this peace? What is it? It's the peace of knowing we've been forgiven and accepted by God and that we are wonderfully and unconditionally loved. It's the peace of knowing that we will live for eternity. It's the peace of giving everything over to him, bringing every fear and every anxiety to him, asking him to take control for his will to be done and knowing that it's in his hands now. And the testimony of millions of Christians around the world, if not hundreds of millions, and throughout the past 2,000 years is this, that when we do that, when we give these things to God, this peace will come. The assurance that we're safe in his hands And sometimes God will actually answer that prayer in remarkable or even miraculous and wonderful ways. And ultimately, it's the peace of knowing that even on a global scale, God is in control. As the words of that famous children's song put it, he's got the whole world in his hands. How do we know? Because he created it. He entered into it, sending his son to be born in a manger because he ensured that that baby became a man who would live a most extraordinary life and that news of him would travel everywhere and because he predicted that he would die a criminal's death but then rise again and that his death and resurrection would lead to the growth of a new kingdom that would spread over the entire earth. That was what God prophesied through Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus was even born. And yet here's the thing. It's what actually happened. It's still being fulfilled now. A kingdom of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people have chosen to put their faith in Jesus. 
to make Jesus their king, the main man of their lives. So if God was right about all of that, if he did make all of that happen, well then surely we can trust him with everything else. Surely then we can pray for our world. We can pray for our nation. And we can take encouragement from the fact that God will raise up people of faith who can provide vital leadership at difficult times. I don't know about you, but I take encouragement from the fact that our queen is a Christian, that our prime minister is a Christian, that we have a Christian leader of the Lib Dems, we have an incoming Christian vice president in the US, we have a Christian chancellor in Germany, and we have many Christian politicians, far more than we would expect from probability alone. We need to pray for them, but we need to also have faith that God is hearing our prayers and he is in control. We need to land. I hope I've shown that the true story of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, is fabulously good news. It showed that God cared for the world, that he cares about us. It showed that he loves us and he sent his son to show us his love and to enable us to become adopted children of God. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There is hope. Good will triumph over evil. Joy will triumph over despair. That's God's story. That's the Christmas story. Will you make it your story too? In a moment, we're going to sing a beautiful but lesser-known Christmas, Christian Christmas carol. It's all about how Jesus, who was with God in the beginning, as we heard, was born not in splendor, but in poverty. And it's about what he came to this world to do. I invite you to dwell on those words as you sing them. And if you're ready to do so, make the words of that third and final verse your prayer this Christmas time, to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So let's stand as the choir leads us.